You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, The Science of Sin. The Science of Sin. Just a quick announcement before we move forward. Uh, Next week, there's gonna, it's, uh, our, our dear friend, Pastor Paul Tuck, is going to be here to preach to us, uh, and along with some of his members from Divine Church. So uh, if you're here next week, please stick around for that, and, and make sure that you let them feel welcomed and, and, and uh, ministered to as well. Now, there is a famous saying that has, pop, that has uh, circulated and been popularized throughout uh, culture these days that goes something like this. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And as true as that statement might be, I would also add that he's also convinced the world that we are not sinners, that we are inherently good, capable of doing no wrong. And and that is the same lie that he told to Adam and Eve in the garden, if you remember that story. He He told Eve that they would be like God. Perfect like God, determining for themselves what is right and wrong, what is good and evil like God, unable to do wrong like God. And of course, culture today echoes that same lie ever since the garden. Follow your heart, believe in yourself, you are inherently good, you can do it, you have it within you, you choose your identity, you determine your sexuality, all of it. You can't do wrong according to the world. The same lie from the garden. The title of sinner oftentimes is only associated with the serial killers and the the rapists, the ones that you see on TV, the one that makes national news, but not about the everyday person, not the individual. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says and talks about in Romans chapter 3 is very clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We are inherently sinners, every single one of us. We are born into sin, all of us. And uh, this is not to say that the world is bad alone, not to judge the world. In fact, the Bible has already made a judgment over the world. If you remember our study in John chapter 3, it says that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And the truth is the only thing that separates us, those who are in the church, those who are in Christ, is really the cross of Jesus Christ. Without it, as we've been singing, we are just dead in our sins. And even then, for us who are in the church, for us who are already in Christ, we know that we are not perfect. We still fall, we still fail, we still sin, 
While in the flesh, while we are here in this life, we are still capable of sinning. We are still prone to wander, full of temptation. Even Paul himself says, the great apostle Paul, when he writes to the church of Rome, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do, not want, for I do what I want, but for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, he says. And he goes on to say, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who planted all these churches, the one who established the early church. The great Apostle Paul, even he struggled with sin. But the hope that we have as believers is that the mark of a true, true believer in Christ is not perfection in this life, but progression. Becoming more and more like Jesus as the, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and changes our minds so that every thought, every decision, every action, every word that we utter is more and more in line with Christ. It's all by God's grace that we live. It's all by the help of the Holy Spirit that we are able to die to self every day, to take up our cross every day and live for Him. I love how that passage in Romans ends when, when, when Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. His hope, his, his only security in this life is Jesus Christ, even though he has to wrestle with sin day by day. Now, in addition to the help of the Holy Spirit and sanctifying us and helping us, I believe, I strongly believe that we can avoid the pitfalls of sin, avoid temptation when we understand how sin works. When we understand what our flesh is inclined to do. And that's why this morning we'll be discussing the science of sin. Maybe you remember from grade 7 or grade 9, I forget which year it was, but in science class we were probably taught the scientific method, right? Who remembers the scientific method? Nobody does. Good, because I don't either. I had to look this up. But the scientific method, this is great because I can tell you whatever it is and you can believe me, but... No, the scientific method, according to Google, there's actually a lot of different ways, but the main thing is that you have to be able to observe something first and foremost, create some sort of, of hypothesis or prediction about what you're observing, and then do some experiments, be able to reproduce or replicate that, that theory of yours, then, of course, draw some sort of conclusion. Well, in the same way, sin has a science to it. As we'll see in our passage this morning, sin is very much observable, our passage actually begins when verse 6, look at that with me. It says, For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my latest, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Our entire passage is something that the, the, the king, the, 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 the father who is giving these wise words to his son, has observed in the streets. It's advice that he has observed for himself and trying to give to, to, to pass on to his son so that his son would avoid the effects and the, and the consequences of sin. 
Now, the Bible also gives us uh, not just a a hypothesis, for some reason I wanted to say hippo for some reason, a hypothesis uh, on sin, but it actually gives us the truth about sin. If you do this, if you entertain this, if you follow this, if you dwell on this, if you think this way, then this will happen. It's not just a hypothesis, it's truth. It's reality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and and, and Scripture gives us examples of what we ought to avoid, especially in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the idolatry and sin of Israel in the wilderness. And he says, very specifically, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Scripture gives us warning as to not reproduce, not replicate sin, not go down the roads of temptation of sin. Because the conclusion is dire, as we'll see this morning. And so my purpose and and our hope for us this morning is to heed the warning signs, the, the pitfalls of sin, so that we do not fall into them. So that we can avoid them, so that we can pursue righteousness and holiness instead as we are called to do as believers in Christ. So that we would continue in our progress to become more and more like Christ every day. And of course, you know, I'm not just talking about the, the, explicit, the explicit sins or the grand sins that, that you often think about when you hear the word. Sin is sin regardless of how small it is. The lustful heart, the, the coarse language, the gluttonous lifestyle, the slothful mentality, the envious and greedy intent, the seemingly innocent lie, the hatred for a brother... You might think, well, those aren't as bad as, say, killing someone or or all these other sins. And you might think that it's extreme, but in reality, it's Jesus who elevates the standard for what is sin. Jesus is the one who said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you're, you're under the same judgment as someone who has murdered, Jesus says. And in James, in his book, he says that, he says that, for one thing, he says that if you know what to do and you do not do it, that's sin to you. That's a sin of omission. And he also says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. The Bible hates sin. The Bible has higher standards of what sin is than us. That's the reality of it. Sin is sin. And my hope for us this morning is that you would, that this, by understanding the signs of sin, of how sin works and its machinations and its tactics against us, that you would be able to stand vigilant, that you would see the warning signs, that you would be, know how to avoid it, and, and not just that, but remi- be reminded of the weight of sin this morning. And for those who are struggling with sin, with especially hidden sin, the habitual sin, I want to encourage you this morning that there is hope. That there is freedom in Jesus Christ. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you this morning that you can avoid sin. You can overcome temptations. So with that said, there's, there's, we have a lot of text this morning, so we're going to get into it. Everyone say jump for me as we jump in. Amen. 
First, first thing to note in our passage is specifically is that our passage is specifically talking about how to avoid an adulterous woman, right? We see this in verse 1 to 5. Look at this with me. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. That's the point of this entire chapter. But we have to understand that adultery and sin behaves the same way. It tempts the same way. It presents itself in the same way. And ultimately, adultery of the heart is really what sin is. Instead of being faithful to the God that we love, we become unfaithful and we pursue other loves. We pursue other things. That's what sin is. It's adultery of the heart against God. Now, where we start to see sort of the warning signs and the pitfalls of sin is in verse 6. Look at that with me. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my latest, and I have seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. This, is, he, this, this father, this king, King Solomon, who's writing this down, he's describing someone without understanding. Someone who, who, who lacks reason, who is unwise, and it gives a reason why. Because in verse 8, it goes on to say, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. This young man is lacking sense because he is purposely going down a street where he knows temptation will be. Where he knows where sin it will get him where sin is crouching to get him. Yet he goes down anyways. Now notice as well, there's a specific time that is mentioned here. It's, it's at nighttime, the twilight, in the evening, at night, when darkness comes. And the Bible does a lot of allusion to how darkness is being, being in darkness is being in a world of sin and associates living in sin. And it's also, you will also read in different passages in the scriptures that nighttime is usually when robbers come out, thieves come out, and that's when, when sin takes place. Now, from that, we see the first pitfall of sin that we can understand is that there is the, the pattern of sin. The pattern of sin. There is a pattern to sin when we are more, that, that is a time when we are more susceptible to temptation. Not necessarily just at night, but there are times in the day, there's times in our lives, there are seasons in our lives where we are more prone to wander away from God. Where, where we are more, more easily led astray by our flesh and our desires. Sometimes it's when we're tired. Actually, oftentimes it's when we're exhausted. When we don't have the mental faculties to be able to stand vigilant and say no to temptation, that's when it comes. Remember Jesus and disciples at the garden before he's crucified. In Matthew 26, Jesus finds them sleeping, the disciples, and he goes over to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And oftentimes when we are tired and when we are, ex we are exhausted, that's when we become more susceptible. Or how about this? Okay, uh, maybe the wives can relate, right? For me, it's when I'm hungry. Anyone else like that? They call it being hangry. 
Any, any, other, any, any wives relate to this? Maybe their husband, their spouse. Maybe some of you are hangry right now. You didn't have breakfast. It's about 11.25. This is usually when you have 11 Zs, you hobbit, right? <laughs> there are times when we are more susceptible to temptation. And unless we guard ourselves against it, unless we are very much aware of when those times are, we will fall into the traps of sin every single time. So how do we avoid this? Well, again, be aware. Plan ahead. If, you're no, if you know that after your work day, you're going to come home and you're tired and exhausted, then, then, then rest. You're, listen, right? Sleep. It's the only time a pastor's going to tell you to sleep from the pulpit. Sleep, right? You need that rest. You need that physical rest. At the same time, if you know that you're the one who gets hangry, annoyed when you, when you don't have food in your stomach, then eat some food. Plan ahead, right? But in addition to that, you could also pray. You could also spend time in the Word. If you know that if you're, you're exhausted and you're going to be susceptible to sin, then spend time in God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Be refreshed in His presence. Don't be like this young man who lacks sense, who willfully goes down this alleyway, who willfully goes down the street knowing that this is the house of the adulteress. And that, that's another thing, by the way, right? We need to be vigilant as well in terms of what we, what we put into ourselves, what we, what we take into ourselves, right? The, the shows that we watch, the, the movies that we watch, the reels that we watch on social media. Listen, a lot of this stuff has explicit content. And when you fill your brain with that stuff, when you fill your brain with the images of sin, you're going to be way more susceptible to temptation. And, and the, the honest truth is, we know this, there's no excuse. Whenever a show starts, whenever a movie starts, there's always the, the PG rating, whatever the rating is at the top that tells you what's going to be in that show, what's going to be in that movie, right? There's suggested, suggestive themes, sexual content. Do we just turn a blind eye to that now? Are we just numb to that now? Paul said, you know, not, to not let even a hint of sexual sin, of sexual immorality be among you. Not even a hint. So why entertain that garbage? Like Jesus said, again, elevating the, the extent of which we need to hate and, and, and be repulsed by sin. He says in Matthew 5, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It sounds extreme, right? Having to pluck out an eye, cut off a hand, but it's not. That's how much we need to be vigilant against sin. That's how, how, how abhorrent sin is to the eyes of a holy God. We must be vigilant against sin. We must hate sin. And we must not entertain it. But those are the best shows. They're so exciting, right? Entertaining. Well, our passage talks about that as well. Look at verse 10 with me. And behold... The woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, 
She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. Then jump down to verse 16 with me. I've spread my couch, this is what she's saying, with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. This is talking about the presentation of sin. The presentation of sin. Sin is attractive to the eyes. It appeals to the lust of our eyes. Remember in the garden, during the initial fall with Adam and Eve, what did it say? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Sin is attractive. It appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our desires, to the passions of our flesh. And strategically so. It says in our passage very accurately, and behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Something easy to obtain. Then it says, wily of heart. Wily of heart. Remember wily coyote? I didn't know what wily meant until I looked this up. It means crafty and cunning. It means crafty and cunning, and that's what sin is. It's strategically presented, it's visually captivating, it's visually alluring so that it'll draw you away, so that it'll entertain you, so that it'll, it'll make you think that it's enjoyable, pleasurable, easy. It's, by the way, how the world is indoctrinating our kids. If you remember, I think it was maybe a couple of months ago, there was like a video that came out with uh, Steve from Blue's Clues. Remember this? Steve from Blue's Clues. And everyone was so happy and posting it on their Facebook. Oh, man, Steve's back. Whoa, awesome. And then everyone was pronouncing their love for Blue's Clues. But do you know, have you watched Blue's Clues lately? Have you watched their episodes where they promoted Pride Week? And they got so-called kids who, who identified as LGBT to come on and say, this is fun, this is all about love. And, or they had a, 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 a transgender man come up and sing a pride song with Blue, with Blue Sclue, Blue whatever his name is, the dog. That's how they present it to our kids these days, to indoctrinate them with flashy lights and colors. And if we are not vigilant, by the way, parents, if we are not careful about what our kids are watching, they're going to see that and think it's great, it's truth, it's, it's enjoyable as well. They show things to grab our attention, and, and not just our eyes, by the way, or, by the way right? It's, it's all the senses, it, it, they appeal to it all, all promoting pleasure and delight and indulgement. Whenever you watch a beer commercial on, on, on TV, right, it's always the, 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 hey, you know, have fun, come party with us. It's never, it's never the, the, the car accidents. It's never the, the abuse of alcoholism. They show things to grab your attention for you to delight in. And so how do we counteract that? Well, here's a question. What do you delight in? What do you find your, your joy in? What captivates your attention these days? Here's a great indicator for all of those who are on social media. What's being put on your feed? 
Because I know, I, know, I know a little bit about social media and how it works, right? The more videos of what you watch or the more videos of something that you watch, the more they give you that, those same videos, right? Yeah? I'm sure that's how it works. What's on your social media feeds? What are you feeding yourself? You know, part of what the, the tactics of sin in this whole appeal and the presentation of it is, is that they overload you with the stuff to get you to be numb to it, to get you to be okay with it, to get you to, to be complacent towards it. It's all, it's, it's all over the TV anyways, right? It's in every show. It's in every movie anyways. We can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. You can just turn off the TV. You can just avoid watching those movies. So ask yourself, maybe this is the, the real question here. Have you grown numb to sin? Have you watched so many things and have you entertained so many things that at the end of the day, it doesn't even phase you anymore? That you see sexuality on, on TV, that you hear coarse language. Do you delight in the, these sinful things? And here, and what we also see in the world is that sin likes to hide behind seemingly good things. Things that should be innocent, even good, and even holy, and even sacred. Sin likes to hide behind those things to allure people, to bring people to them. Our passage talks about this. This is called the perversion of sin. The perversion of sin. Look at verse 13 with me. Go back to that with me. It says, she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. She masquerades what ought to be good and, 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 and presents it as good. In reality, it's in. Look what she talks about. She says that she offered sacrifice, in ancient times, in the Old Testament, sacrifice was to, to cleanse one of sin before God, to make payment, to make atonement for their sin. And yet she's saying, look, I've made a sacrifice. I've already gone to the temple. We can do this. And then she even says in this, right, she's masquerading this idea of making vows, that she's already did her part. She's already made the effort that they can go and sin. And on top of that, she says, you know, I've come to meet you. I've sought you out eagerly. I have found you. That makes you feel special, doesn't it? That makes you feel that you're, you, you belong, that you're wanted, that you are loved. Notice that all of these things, making a, a vow to, to fulfill, uh, making sacrifice to God, being accepted, Belonging somewhere, being loved, all of it are good things. Things that every human being desires and longs for, but sin perverts what is good and sells it as something cheap. And no wonder, because, because the devil disguises himself as an angel of light, the Bible says. An angel of light meaning he, he disguises himself to, perceive, to, to be perceived as truthful, as right, as good. But in reality, he just counterfeits. God creates and the devil counterfeits. And 
We see many examples of this in the world, but I believe, at least in our culture, in our day and age, the biggest thing that is counterfeited by the enemy, by sin itself, is the idea of love. Because everybody desires to be loved. We were created to be loved. And that's why the, 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 the world has, has hijacked this idea of love and said that you have the right to love everybody that you wish. And it's all under the guise of love and expressing love. So there are many broken and lost young people finding their identity, their acceptance in sinful lifestyles, finding a place to belong in sinful communities. Because it gives them purpose. It gives them a place to be, to, be, to be part of a community. It gives them a place to be loved. All under the guise, sin all under the guise of love, something good. And of course, you know, our, our media, our, our governments, our, our school systems even, all of it perpetuate this lie, perpetuate this presentation, this corruption, this perversion, but our, as God's word says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe, there is a judgment coming. Now for us who might be inclined to seeking out such things, inclined to seeking out acceptance and purpose and community in sinful places, how do we combat this? Simple God's truth, God's word, a Christ-centered worldview, understanding where, our, where true love actually comes from, understanding where acceptance and joy and delight and belonging and, and community truly comes from, where genuine and sincere love comes from. And having scripture as the foundation of our truth, as objective truth, not our feelings, not someone else, not our preferences, not the world, not pop culture, not what's trending, but having the word of God as our objective truth, our place to stand upon. Be wary of the perversion of sin. Going on, continuing, we, all see, we also see the persuasion of sin. The persuasion of sin in our passage. Verse 19, look at this with me. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He's not home. Nobody's home. When the, what's that saying? When the cat's out, the mice come out to play. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. He won't be home for a while, is what she's saying. Then in verse 21, it says, With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. What's the appeal here, by the way? Why is this statement, what she's talking about, appealing? What's the persuasion tactic here? That you can sin and get away with it. That's a persuasion tactic. That's what's alluring here. That you can sin and you won't get caught because the husband's out of town. He's not going to be back for a while. We won't get caught. That's the third biggest lie of the enemy, by the way, right next to him being not existing, next to us being good inherently, that you can get away with sin. In fact, we, that's, in fact remember the garden again. What, the, what does the devil say to Eve? Eve says to, 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 the, to the enemy, he says, no, if we eat this food, we will die. The devil says, 
You won't die. You, 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 nothing will happen to you. There's no consequence if you eat of this fruit. There's nothing wrong with it. It appeals, the appeal is us committing sin. The appeal of us committing sin is that we will, we will not experience any consequences, not experience judgment, especially the hidden sin, right? You can get away with it. No one sees you anyways. It's not harming anyone but you, right? The hidden sin, it's only affecting you. Listen, listen, some, listen to some truth this morning. Okay, understand this, church. There is no sin that only affects you. There is absolutely no sin that only affects you. Even if sin doesn't affect you, doesn't affect someone immediately, when you continue to sin in the secret, when you continue to harbor the hidden sin, you are sowing seeds of corruption in yourself that will ultimately bear fruit in your relationships with others. Let's take pornography for, a, for instance. Pornography that is an epidemic in the church for both men and women these days. It's no longer a question of if you've watched porn, it's when you last watched it. That's how dire it is in the church. And if you think it only affects you, the reality is it doesn't because it distorts your, your perception of the opposite gender, of yourself. It will greatly affect your relationship with your future spouse. If you keep sowing these, these thoughts and these images into yourself, and there's actually been studies of this, where after just watching, uh, watching some pornography, the mind and, and these, these individuals start seeing the opposite gender in such horrific ways, such sinful ways. Again, it's not, it's not isolated to yourself. You're sowing seeds of corruption. And even, even if that's, even if it's not, even if, even if we're not talking about how it affects other people, for those who've ever struggled with it, you know that it's paralyzing. You know that it, you, you get stuck in this cycle of sin confess and sin confess. You know, you get stuck in this, uh, this, this cycle of shame and guilt, which further drives you into depression and further drives you into despair and defeat. And it delusions you in, in your identity in Christ. It makes you think that all you can amount to is sin. It makes you think that you can... It makes you think that... It makes you even question your salvation. Am I really saved if I keep on sinning, if I keep struggling with this? Again, there is no sin that only affects you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from his, the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And listen, unless you are persuaded to believe that you can get away with sin, whatever sin you commit, 
even in secret, if you think that you will get away with whatever sin that you do in the, in the secret place, look at verse 22 with me of our passage. Verse 22 says, All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not, astray, do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and her, all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is talking about the punishment of sin. The punishment of sin. The reality is, Scripture is very clear. All sin is punished because all sin is not hidden from God. God sees every single one. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, you should know this, for the wage of sin is death. That is thanatos, the spiritual death, complete and utter destruction. In 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about the coming judgment and how every act will be taken into account. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Every act. And in the book of Revelations, it talks about the very punishment that sinners will receive. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual, immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's what's to come. That's the punishment of sin. And listen, if that does not scare you, if that doesn't put the weight of sin on you, if that doesn't put the fire, the fear of God in you, it's a good chance that you, your, your, your mind has been seared by sin, that your conscience has been seared by sin, that you have grown numb to sin. It's a, good, it's a good chance that you have forgotten the price of our sin. What the Bible calls the propitiation of sin. Look at Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In ancient times, different cultures and religions would, would conduct what is called a propitiation. It is a, a blood offering. It is a blood sacrifice to appease a holy God. And Christ became that on our behalf for our sin. The, the, the man who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And, 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 and the entirety of God's wrath was poured out on him at the cross of Calvary. The wrath though, that, that, was, that we deserve as a result of our sins was poured on Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen, when, when, when Christ calls out on the cross towards his death, 
Father, why have you forsaken me? Some pastors like to, to teach that that was God being disgusted and God, being, God having to turn away and abandon his son. It's actually quite the opposite. That is God directing all of his wrath, all of his fury onto his son on, for our behalf. Because of our sin. That perfect, unconditional love that the Son of God experienced for all of eternity past from the God the Father turned to scorn and hate and wrath on our behalf. Because of our sin, yours and mine. If that doesn't grieve your heart, if the reality of the Son of God, the lover of our souls, being left to experience the wrath of God alone on the cross because of what we've done. If that doesn't grieve your heart, I can assure you that you have grown numb to sin, that you have forgotten the weight of sin. All of it, all of it on our behalf, and all of it so that we can stand justified before a holy God. Approved, forgiven. That passage in Romans continues. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus suffered and died and experienced the wrath of God on the cross so that we can stand justified before a holy God. This is the conclusion of the science of sin, right? In this scientific method of studying what sin is. Only through Jesus Christ are we justified. Only through Christ do we have redemption. Only through his finished work on the cross can we avoid the pitfalls of sin, the pattern of sin, the, the presentation of sin, the, the perversion of sin, the, the, the persuasion of sin, even the punishment of sin. In a few moments here, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And I often leave this part for when we were about to partake of the, the elements of the Lord's table this morning, but I... I want you to examine yourselves at this time, in this sacred time, this moment of reflection. Examine yourself. Is there sin in your life that you need to confess to God? That you need to deal with at the cross of Jesus Christ? Is there sin in your life that you have grown numb to? Because you have exposed yourself time and time again that your conscience is seared, that you no longer see it as sin, that you see it as normal. There's something in your life that you need to surrender at the foot of the cross. If that's you this morning, if you are struggling with sin, I urge you to be like the tax collector who recognizes the holiness of God and stands far off and can't even look up and cries out, forgive me, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I pray that before we partake of this Lord's table, that you would reconcile those sins to God. That you ask forgiveness, that you ask for cleansing, that you ask for a fresh weight of the sin in your life. Because that's what we are remembering in the Lord's table. The body that was broken for our healing, the, the blood that was spilt for our cleansing, for our washing, for our forgiveness. And if you are still caring, if you are still harboring that sin in your life, as you partake of this table, I will tell you the truth that you are not truly remembering what Christ has done for you on the cross. And those who are struggling in sin, I want to encourage you. Those who have been in the cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess. Those who have been battling with habitual sin and the habitual thoughts, the intrusive thoughts that keep coming in. I want to encourage you that in Jesus Christ you have victory already. Remember that Christ has already paid for that sin. And remember that you are not alone. You're not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. One of the devil's tactics is to make you think that you are alone in your sin, that you're the only one struggling with it, that you're the only one that has fallen this way. The Bible is very clear. There's no temptation that you experience, that you encounter in this life that is not common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. And listen, Jesus Christ died for all sin. All sin. Your sin does not surprise God. But that verse continues. It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The key word there is God is faithful. God will help. God will help you overcome. There is hope. There is help in, in Jesus Christ. And there is also help in the community of believers. And I urge you, if you are struggling in whatever habitual sin, whatever hidden sin, I urge you, connect with me connect with the other elders, connect with your life group leader, connect with somebody in this church who will keep you accountable, who will fight with you, who will stand with you, who will urge you to keep pressing on, who will encourage you through the, the depression and, the, and the, the shame of sin. You have the help of brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone through seasons of sin, who have gone through times of temptation you can share wisdom and help in those times of trouble. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.